You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 7, today we are in Le Creusot. Well, that was a stage, wasn't it, Francois Tomaso? It was indeed a long stage, but in, in the same time, I mean, you know, it, it went so fast. I mean, both on the road. I mean, they're, they're amazing average speed for such a, well, hard stage, actually. And it also went fast when we were looking at it because lots and lots of things happened. And I'm really looking forward to uh, to Kate's tale of the etap because we we might be there, you know, still in uh, half an hour. Well, There's so much to be I'm told. Looking forward to this. Well, Kate, Kate has been Kate Wagner here sitting beside me. Hello, Kate. Hello. Kate's been crafting her tale of the etap. It's a uh, it's appropriate that you do it because when we compiled our list of 18 possible winners today. Kate um, suggested Mate Moharic, and we we dismissed her. We dismissed that suggestion and ignored it. And uh, well, I don't want to. That, that's a spoiler alert, by the way. Um, but we'll get to that a bit later on. Before we do hear the tale of the tap, where are we, Francois? We're in Charolles. Charolles is a place well uh, renowned. Well, it's obviously, it's not too far from Le Creusot, where, where the, the stage finished. And Charolles is the the. the well, one of the probably the French capital of beef, uh, Caton. When when we were you know driving along the fields uh, on, on the road and maybe on TV you saw that those white cows all over the place. They're the Charolais breed, and um, yeah, they're supposed to be. And I know they are because I had the best steak ever in my life in Chateau Chinon, not too far from uh, here. And it was on the course of the of the stage today. Uh, really looking forward for, to. I'm well, not. I'm not. A, I'm not too much of a red meat person. But when you know meat reaches that kind of quality, it is brilliant. Let's hope that's what's on the menu tonight. <laughs> We're staying in the in the home of a, a a friend of the podcast, a listener who got in touch when the route was announced and invited us to stay, Chris. And we'll maybe hear a bit from him a bit later in the episode. But we have got a. A crackerjack of a stage to discuss, and we're going to hear from some of the the protagonists in in that stage. We've got interviews with well, we've got an audio diary entry, very funny audio diary entry as per usual from Victor Campenarts. Um, we're going to hear from Brent Van Moore, who was up there today as well. I think we maybe hear from Garrett Thomas as well, and Mark Hershey, who is of course on the team of the defending champion Terry Pogacar. Um, but Kate, yes. take it away. Okay. I just want to say that this is the rightest I've ever been about cycling today. It had to happen at some point. I'm only joking. <laughs> you're, you're often right. You're often right. Okay. Well, this has been the longest stage in the Tour de France in 21 years. And every single kilometer, all 249 of them were raced full on with nothing held back. Nothing whatsoever. The first 50 kilometers were spent trying to establish the breakaway, which when it went, it went hard. It was a star-studded list of characters, over 20 men, including at one point or another the yellow and green jersey wearers, Matthew Vanderpool and Mark Cavendish, along with Wout Van Aert, you know, Wout Van Aert, Milano Sanremo winner Jasper Stuyven, not to mention Brett Van Murr from a couple days ago and the winner in the Dauphiné. Who else was there? I mean, who wasn't there? Soren Krau Anderson, Victor Kempenarts, Simon Yates, Vincenzo Nibali, Ronda von Vlaanderen, Slater, Kasper Askarin, and of course, the Slovenian descending specialist slash Baroudeur slash Roulaire, Matej Mohoric. Most of the teams were well represented here except for four. Total Energies, 
Israel Startup Nation, Groupama, Francis de Jure, and UAE Team Emirates. It was a pretty rough day for UAE Team Emirates. It was their responsibility as the team containing the defending champion and obvious GC favorite at this point, Tade Pagacha, to try and chase this back. They failed at that, and the break went out to over six and a half minutes. Doesn't matter. UAE spent all of the day on the front, helped out occasionally by the likes of Total Energies, who, to be honest, burned their guys out for no reason because it wasn't like a break that strong, which is perhaps as strong as a break as anyone could possibly get in a Grand Tour, looking at that list of contenders, was coming back anytime soon. It was a rough day for Tadej Pogacar, though he seemed in pretty good spirits about it. Our boy Prince knows his day will come. As his domestiques crossed the line, however, they appeared rather haggard after such a long, hard time in the saddle. Not much happened in the resulting 100 kilometers in between which the final finale of our stage was set up and when the break went away. Mark Cavendish handily won the inter- intermediate sprint, which raises questions about whether he's interested perhaps in the green jersey. He soon dropped back to the bunch after helping out his teammate Kasper Askreen for a while, which was quite generous of him. At 80k to go, Matej Mohoric and Brent van Moor went solo, and it looked for a while like this stage would be a redo of Mohoric's face-off with Thomas de Gent earlier this year in Volta Catalunya, a face-off the Slovenian lost. After the duo went off the front, the break started to slowly disintegrate as the kilometers ticked down. Everyone took their chances. Philippe Gilbert, Vincenzo Nibali, Christophe Laporte. It's only Victor Campanert and Jasper Stuyven who managed to bridge to the two up front. However, with 47 kilometers still left to go, a lot could happen in that time. Campanarts drops off soon after, and nobody up at the front can stay with Mohoric when he attacks on the penultimate climb. The signal du chon. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Francois. Signal, le signal du chon. Thank you. <laughs> a category two beast with 19 kilometers still left to go. I mean, none of this stops chaos, absolute chaos from happening behind. The break gets eviscerated and torn to shreds on the side of the hill, and their attacks also flied off back in the peloton. One of the victims, perhaps, of the chaos, and perhaps the most notable of today's days, was Primus Roglic, who couldn't keep up with the bunch. In obvious physical agony after his crash written opening and the big day he put in during the time trial, he fell off the back of the peloton where no one came for him. He finishes the race nine minutes down, and his tour and his chance at redemption is all but over. Speaking of existential battles, that brings us to Matthew and Wout. Matthew and Wout. Wout and Matthew, who went off mano a mano in a battle for the yellow jersey. They flew off the front of the breakaway with 8K to go, and meanwhile in the bunch, Richard Carapaz decided to go in a bid for time on his competitors. And at one point he snags a minute of it, helped out by Dylan Van Barla, who drops back from the break. However, movie star, acting like Carapaz's personal hit squad, decided there's no way Carapaz is going to get away with this, and they try like hell to get him back. And yet, none of this drama has any impact whatsoever on Matej Mohoric, who is absolutely brilliant, transcendental in his solo victory, which thus completes his hat trick of stage wins in each of the three Grand Tours. Puts him in a very elite crowd. He crosses the line really visibly emotional, crying and making a heart with his hands. After his frightening crash in the Giro and his well in his struggle to recover, the Slovenian national road champion gets his well-deserved moment in the sun. A minute and a half later, he's followed by Stoyven, then EF's Magnus Court, who rode a quiet but determined race. And then Vanderpol manages to hold off Askreen, Frank Bonamore, who also had a dig, and Patrick Conrad, who also had a dig because everyone had a dig today. Uh, and of course, his rival, Matthew's rival, Wout Van Aert. And thus, Matthew is staying in the yellow jersey another day. Farther than I think most of us thought he would have gotten. Pogacar finishes the stage down 3 minutes and 43 seconds on Vanderpool, But fear not, 
The mountains are coming, and with them, the pain. Our boy prince is so at home there, and he's patient and waiting. He knows his time will come. The cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Grateful to them for their support. And as we've told you a few times, we're running a competition in conjunction with Super Sapiens. You can win three months worth of Super Sapiens monitors to monitor your blood glucose levels. I'm wearing mine now. And uh, on, on an app on your phone, you can keep a continuous track of your blood sugar levels, which is fascinating, especially if you are training for something. And if you are training for something, if you have some kind of cycling goal and you'd like... Uh, super sapiens to help you try and achieve that send us an, an audio clip of 60 seconds or less telling us how and why you would like to try super sapiens let's hear from one of the most recent entrants constantine my name is constantine and i am an avid listener from germany thank you for offering the chance to try out the super sapiens products You wanted to learn about my reasons for wanting to try out said products. I started cycling in 2017 and was shortly after diagnosed with a chronic dysfunction of my pancreas. For almost three years now, I've been dealing with my nutritional extravaganza, and it's always been a certain guessing game with regards to my blood sugar levels. Basically, I have to avoid all kinds of sugar, a seemingly impossible task. I have felt super tired on my bike and not being able to perform well enough, and I've been struggling to get the food uh, into my body to get where I want to be. I don't race competitively, but I prefer, I would say, ambitious coffee rides with my friends instead. I believe the Super Sapiens products would prove extremely valuable to me and help me bring my nutrition and uh, performance into a healthy equilibrium. Thank you once again for offering this prize competition to us, your listeners. Stay safe and ride on. Vive les tours. Thank you very much indeed, Constantine, for um, entering our competition. And if you'd like to have a go, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see how to send in your clip of audio. Um, tell us how and why you'd like to win three months of Super Sapiens. Well, uh, so many stories today. I mean, Mate Moric was a, an amazing winner, especially for those of us, all of us, who saw him crash so heavily at the Giro. Um, that was a really shocking, sickening crash. And I guess he wouldn't even be here had he finished the Giro and not left it in the way that he did. I don't know that for a fact, but uh, he is a rider who you know a lot of us have been aware of for an awful long time. He was junior world champion and he was under 23 world champion. He was a precocious talent who lost his way a little bit. He was in the liquid gas team, then Cannondale. Um, and I remember speaking to people at the Cannondale team at the time, which is now, in effect, EF Education First Nepo. Um, that he they, they, he was he is very bright and they feared he was almost too too intelligent he was overthinking and uh, didn't really seem to find his way in the world tour for a number of years and he's shown in flashes what he's capable of I remember he won the Bank Bank tour a couple of years ago he's won his stages at the Giro and the Vuelta and an interesting statistic that he said uh, at the end was that in each of these three Grand Tours he's won the longest stage in the race the Giro stage was almost 250 
50 kilometers. The Vuelta was over 200 kilometers, and today was the longest stage of the tour. A real talent, and he showed today in a group of big hitters just what a talent he is. Yeah, in, in, in many ways, before we started talking about Pogacar, and, and it, almost before we start, started talking about Primoz Roglic, that the uh, you know prospect of Slovenian cycling was... Uh, more orange, uh, because as you said, he won, he won this World Championship at Junior. He uh, he looked like I remember uh, talking to him in uh, after he, w he won the Big Bang Tour in the in the Grand Prix Quebec and Montreal, and he, he was seen as a favorite there as well because you know same sort of a of races, long two hundred and more than two hundred k's. That's right. I mean, it, it, so far he had not, you know, he had ups and downs. You had the impression all of a sudden he found he found himself more of a teammate, uh, you know, even with with Baron uh, Victorious than than a team leader. I was kind of wondering what had happened, you know, what, what and and you and as you said, you know, maybe sometimes it's not so so good, so so good to be too bright in in the world of. Uh, of cycling, but yeah, um, I impressive when you think about it. You know that once again we've said it many times before, but once again, you know th this small country of two million inhabitants uh, producing such a generation of of uh, exceptional talents is, uh, yeah, is mind-boggling. He wasn't actually part of Liquid Gas. I do apologize. It was when uh, the um, just after Liquid Gas disappeared from cycling and Cannondale and liquid gas teams kind of merged. He joined them in 2014. He's still only 26. Kate, you're our Slovenian cycling authority. And Moritz, as I said, you in the car today when we were talking about possible winners today, you were you were certain that Moritz was a, a, a serious contender. And I think, I mean, he's somebody that you have a lot of time for. You, you're quite interested in him, aren't you? Yeah, he's great. Uh, <laughs> no, he's one of my favorite writers, I think, in the whole peloton because every time he's one of those writers where every time he does something, he does it's interesting. He makes the race interesting. And one of the reasons I like him so much is that he's got a very specific skill, uh, which is he's and one of the best descenders in the peloton. One could say that he's a descending specialist, uh, despite his like unlucky crash in the Giro. His track record of like being like basically fearless in the descents is is pretty incredible. I mean, I wrote about it once for my newsletter, and I said I wrote there. I said every time I watch Matej Mohoric descend, watch him careening through tight switchback corners at seventy to eighty kilometers an hour. The weight of his body draped over his top tube, his chin hovering centimeters above the handlebars. I hold my breath until he's at the bottom, or at least until he slows down. I see his life flash before my eyes. One little wiggle wrong and he's dead. Into the barriers, off a cliff, into a rock wall, dead. But he's almost never wrong. Indeed. I mean, he was. Uh, that was the first time I ever saw the Super Tuck in Florence in 2013 when he won the under-23 world title. I know it had been used before then, but that was really his speciality. Mm. Um, he's managed to adapt to the post-Super Tuck era. Yeah. Brave. That's um, the thing. That's the thing about him that makes him such a great writer is he's just really brave. It makes you wonder, you know, uh, how we, we, we don't have more Austrians, you know, being... Uh, you know, mean ski jumpers and 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 ski and you know and and alpine skiers in the in, in the world of cycling. We, we had quite a few actually, but uh, but yeah, I I wonder why. I mean, all we know about Rogers being a ski jumper. Or did you know that he was a ski? I jumper? didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I mean that this this way, this kind of swashbuckling fashion of going down the slope is is very. I mean, you can tell it's in the culture of. of People living in the mountains and 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 kind of growing up with skis on their feet because I knew when you were a skier, the, 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 I told you the other day the only way to ski well is to go down the slope. I mean, we, we, without thinking.
thinking too much. You know, if you start thinking and if you're afraid, you're certain to crash. So the thing is, go, you know, follow the slope, go. And that's that's what Maurice does so well. He does. Um, I mean, we're talking about Maurice because there's almost a danger that we don't because there was so much else that went on today. And really, the, the group that went clear of 29 riders, it was a fascinating day. I mean, a lot of people... Um, sort of dread a long, a long transition stage because we're we're basically trying to get from uh, the west of France to the to, into the Alps, and and that that was, I mean, it had some interesting terrain at the end, obviously these climbs, but the race was on well before we reached the the climbs, and 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 you know we we're we we're just you've got two days in the in the Alps ahead of us when the race really should catch fire, mm, the GC race should catch fire, but here we we saw fascinating days racing where 29 riders went clear as you said uh, Kate no UAE team Emirates in it, uh, riders in it because they're obviously all for Tari Pogacar but the, you know you can't let a group that size go with some really strong riders in it and they were obviously given instructions to close it down and they tried and they couldn't mm-hmm. and that that meant they had a very very hard day and I was pleased to see that the other teams left them to it you know that the other teams didn't and, and I mean at this point in the race, it, it, it shows, in a way, it illustrates just how much of a favourite Tari Pogacar now is because all the other teams also acknowledge that it was UAE Team Emirates' responsibility to control the race, even though he's not in the yellow jersey. And they tried and they, they couldn't. Now, there's, there are no, for me, there are no questions about Pogacar, but there are certainly questions about his team and, and more tonight. Maybe here, you know, credits to uh, Christian Prudhomme again. I know I've, I've done that. You know he's a mate of mine. We were at school together. But I, I, I talked to him before the start of the, the Tour de France for quite a while. And, and, and he, he, he told me about this stage, saying, you know, beware of that stage. He said it might be more, you know, he realized Prudhomme and other race organizers that, that you, you make, you know, riders make less and less of, of difference in the big mountains, uh, in in the big climbs well, I mean we've seen in, in previous years you don't have like a three, two, three, four minutes the gaps uh, it's, it's a matter of seconds and he said I hope this stage you see this one it's uh, you know the longest one in 21 years as, as you said Kate will we, we'll, we'll be one for punchers as he said because he said you know the, the, the fact that we put this signal du champ 20 guess from the finish. I hope it will inspire, you know, r- real uh, attackers to to go for it. And he was right, uh, and he's been right from the start of the on this Tour de France. Uh, I mean, the, the script for once was absolutely, uh, absolutely perfect. And maybe the fact as well as a small little anecdote by Signal Duchamp, the Signal Duchamp. It was not. It was the first time he was on the Tour de France, but it'd been it'd been uh, ridden in Paris Nice in the 1960s, and the first time he was ridden, all the riders had to set foot on the ground. Not only one rider managed to ride up to Signal uh, Duchamp without, you know, staying on his pedals. You know who he was. What year was this? Francois? 1965. 65. Who was it in 1965? Maybe he gave, well, you know, from above uh, an advice to his grandson. It was Raymond Poulidor. Oh, Raymond Poulidor. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. so, so, I mean, you know, so, well, it's a nice little anecdote. Yeah. But to, to tell how, how much that, that, that climb, it, it was probably, I mean, they, I guess most teams knew and, and had been there, but how much it, it could affect. And in any case, the teams knew that, you know, there was terrain to, to attack. And, and, and the second thing, which is great about the script we had so far in the Tour de France, is that without, I'm not I'm not saying it's great that there had been crashes or anything, but without the crashes and without the, the you know, uh, Pogacar's uh, 
amazing time trial, which made him almost alone, uh, you know, against the rest of the opposition. The reason why we have this stage today is because all the others were so far away and not and had nothing to lose after only six days. Absolutely, we've been uh, sort of relishing an open race, but in some ways. Pogacar's status now means that he's he's there to be shot at. There's and, no and, friends, and and it's still week one. No and, lies, and we saw we saw that. Um, we're going to skip back for we'll get get on to um, UAE team Emirates probably in the next part. But let's just um, go back to the stage today. Yeah. Um, Brent Van Moor was in the move initially with Mohoric, a very strong rider, obviously in his own right. So I was interested to speak to him at the finish about you know what happened. Let's hear from Brent Van Moor, and then let's, then let's hear from our audio diarist, Victor Campenarts, who was also in that break today, having obviously been very determined to make it in, um, and made it up with the Asper Stuyven to the leading two, and then dropped away, and we'll hear Victor's thoughts on today's stage as well. So Brent Van Moor, and then Victor Campenarts. Well, you were in a good position in that in that group. Um, what were your what were your thoughts with three members of your team there? Um, yeah, we. In the beginning we were in a big break, uh, but the problem was there were a lot of big names, so I tried to anticipate to the final, and um, yeah, I thought with Mohoric I had a, a good guy with me, but he was too strong, and every little climb he, he killed me a little bit, and that uh, the steep climb, I, uh, yeah, the tank was, uh, was empty. Was that obvious right from the start, from when you got away with him, that he was just on a really good day? Yeah, yeah, I saw it directly. I asked him to uh, do a little bit slower uh, on the uphill, but he, said, <laughs> he asked me, uh, no, no, we go full. But, uh, it was 90 kilometers to the finish, but uh, then I, uh, I saw he had a really good day. How hard a day was it? I mean, you finished very early. It was, you know, super fast, super hard day, but how, how hard was it to be in that group? Yeah, I think everybody knew it before uh, a little bit because uh, a lot of guys want uh, this stage in the breakaway and uh, yeah but with 30 guys it was uh, not so hard because you have uh, you can turn uh, good but yeah in the end uh, it was really hard we've seen you have have a go on two stages now i guess we'll see you again have another go yeah of course i i will try in another stage but uh, i think a lot of guys will try yes indeed i was a very motivated to be in this uh, breakaway today as it was the first real breakaway stage i tried to did some moves and then i ended up in a big group with also van aert and uh, van der poel um, that was not really what i was hoping for but we we got a quite a good gap and then in the end i came in a really good position with uh, Van Moer and Mohoric, they were already in front and then I breached, breached the gap with Jasper Stuyven. Jasper Stuyven is a good friend of me in cycling and also outside of cycling. We talked together to, uh, to bridge the gap um, and we did it quite smoothly. We, we did a nice, nice pace, a good attack from the back and closed the gap like real men. But then we passed the 200k mark. I could feel uh, energy levels were running low and I could feel why Jasper Stuyven won Milan San Remo and I broke the hour record. I felt I was lacking energy, although I was um, fueling up all the ride quite well and I just um, had to let him go. Mohoric was incredible, he was on another level. I was happy Stuyven became second because he's a good friend of me, of course I hope for him to win 
but uh, what Mohoric did, did today was quite special. I think he attacked with 100k to go and then uh, ending up with a solo victory that's great for him. I look forward to other breakaway stages and of course I look forward to maybe a breakaway stage that is not a uh, distance of a classic race. We will see what we can do and also it's quite clear what, what my focus should be this um, coming off season to focus on making my engine bigger, doing a lot of long, long endurance rides because um, as I want to perform well in plastics, this will be a, a key in my preparation. Ciao. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind us to tell you that this episode is sponsored by SumUp. SumUp provides the simplest and most affordable range of payment and financial tools. So if you run a small business, as we do here at the Cycling Podcast, sum up may well be for you because until relatively recently, taking car payments directly from customers was a tricky business. You needed a contract, often a fixed phone line, and you'd have to pay to rent the card reader device. It was a real barrier to being able to sell directly and flexibly because the reality for most small businesses, especially the mobile businesses that have sprung up over the last few years, is that trade fluctuates. They might have an event where they're selling loads one weekend and then nothing for a week or so, and they don't want to be locked into a contract that's costing them when they're not selling. I know from experience of selling my books at events and even from stalls outside football grounds that if you can't take a car payment quickly and easily, you're losing sales. And in the past year or so, I've noticed just how many of the small and medium-sized businesses I use, whether it's the mobile pizza van that visits our village every week or my local cycling cafe or even some bigger shops, are using SumUp. And without realising it, you've probably used the SumUp device as well, tapping your card against their white card reader. So SumUp clearly works for a lot of small businesses because there's no contract, no hidden fees, just easy, flexible payments. And I'm sure it's something that will come in very handy for us when we can hold live podcast events again and offer our books, jerseys and t-shirts for sale when we go on the road. So if you want to find out more about SumUp, go to sumup.co.uk to find out about the affordable and simple payment tools for businesses which are just starting up or building up. That's sumup.co.uk. Well, before the break, we heard from Brent Van Moore and the always entertaining Victor Campenart. A little reminder that we are doing our now traditional press conference on Monday on the rest day. If you have a question for us, it'll be Francois, me and Kate. Uh, Email us, contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. We'd like you to record your questions, so send us a little audio clip with your questions for Monday's episode. Matthew Van Der Poel, Wout Van Aert... I mean, Always. separated, not separated at the hip. I mean, just today was clearly a day that Van Aert had a possibility of taking the yellow jersey. That was obviously his goal. Um, but when he went up the road, uh, Matthew van der Poel went with him. And it's not often that you see the yellow jersey in the break. No. O- only the, the, the well, from time to time you had that in the past. But when you have the yellow jersey, you know, in the break, well, Greg Van Avermaet was on the road to the Grand Bornand. Van Avermaet. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 <laughs> That's right. Uh, 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 Van I, th- I think when was it 2018? He was in yellow jersey, and there was a, a stage from Annecy to the Grand Bornand where we're going tomorrow, and he was in the break. But usually, the, when it when it happens, you really have a great either someone who's, who knows, you know, his time 
in the yellow jersey is, is almost over, or a great champion like you, you, you could have guys like Greg LeMond or Bernardino going going into breaks, but it was another era of cycling. Van der Poel, yeah, Van der Poel is, is um, you would imagine, entering his final hours in the yellow jersey, but, God, he's putting on a great show, and I, I he just looks like he's having fun. You know, there was a great exchange between him and Wout van Aert at the front when they were going through and off, and uh, uh, I don't know what was said between them, but van der Poel gave a, a smile afterwards. Um, he seems to be enjoying himself and having fun, and it's, it's great to see. Um, and... You know, it was a tough finish. We kind of were questioning whether he should be one of our contenders for today's stage, but he had no problems at all with the climb and, it, you know, looked looked very good. I mean, what we're heading into is, is, is altogether different, but he's such a, such a great rider, um, so great to watch. And, you know, when that move went clear, such a long stage, I think in, in the old days you would have questioned riders' ability to commit fully to that length of ride, but... The way that riders are, are training now, I mean, follow Wout van Aert on Strava, you can see that he regularly goes out and does five, six, seven hour rides behind a, a motorbike, averaging like 43, 44 kilometers an hour. I mean, they're, they're training over 200 kilometers to be able to make these efforts and to be able to go like that over it, it, that length yeah. of time. In, in the old days, you had the, the, the long, more long stages than you have now, and, and riders were probably riding more races than they do now. But at the time, for four hours, they were going at a leisurely pace, and they were they were only speeding when the TV was on, which was like an hour before uh, the finish. So it was it was entirely different. That there is a, a there is an important issue now, I think, regarding both Mathieu van der Poel and Wood van Aert. They find themselves in positions maybe they did not expect to be in uh, at this stage of the Tour de France, uh, and 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 there is another thing looming in the future. That's the Olympics. One and the other uh, might have been looking for the end of the season as more goals than the Tour de France. Now they're they're, they're kind of trapped to their own game because especially Van der Poel, uh, if I mean he 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 gave it all today, but did he give too much? I mean he he should be starting to save some energy uh you know and it's funny because for both in both cases uh you had uh, we were in Le Creusot and there there was actually a mountain bike uh, workup leg you know in the same time no not far away about 20 k's away from Le Creusot where Mathieu van der Poel could have been you know and yeah. and won and and the other funny thing is that there's a famous cyclocross in Le Creusot that Wout van Aert has won in the past so i mean these guys are kind of to, you know, well, not torn apart, but I'm, I mean, what if you know? Because there's a big question mark about Wood Van Aert now. Yeah. Is from what we saw last year at the Tour de France, he can climb, climbs like Cambornon and maybe Ting, with Roglic not being the leader of Jumbo Visma anymore. Who is the the leader of Jumbo Visma? And if it's Wood Van, Wood Van Aert, is he a real contender for the Tour de France? And if he is. And well, it's the same question, maybe on another level from for uh, Mathieu van der Poel. Uh, how far are they going to go? And if they go as far as we might expect, what? Uh, how is it going going to hamper their Olympic goals? This is going to become an increasingly relevant question because almost so many of these guys are going to the Olympics. Roglic is going. Pogacar is going. Van Aert, van der Poel. I think Askren is going. I mean, they. Al Philippe is is he going? No, he no, turned it not. down. He turned it down. But I mean, it's pretty incredible like how many of them are actually just going to the Olympics after. And so like 
it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in a kind of like weird Olympics brinkmanship. But one thing I was thinking about today was that like this was kind of the case last year, not with the Olympics, but with the World Championships being right after the tour, like the week after basically the Tour de France got done. And so it was really interesting to see like who was informed for that versus who wasn't. And I think you'll really start to see certain guys like like you know Alaphilippe the year before was kind of, he kind of just like you know walked away from the tour in a way and you know he finished but he it was clear that he had another goal and it is going to become increasing there's gonna we're gonna see that more I think as the week goes on uh, and as far as Yumbo is concerned I mean Jonas Vingegaard is still up there in the GC he's a he went down to 11th now because of the breakaway because you know Mahoric is already up in fourth uh, and Nibali is now in sixth but at the same time you know he's a strong climber uh, and I think it's ultimately probably would be for him if Roglic abandons or if he, you know, is saying, I, I can't do it. Uh, I mean, Wout, I think, is talented climber. We saw in Terreno that he can hold his own, but, and he finished second only to Tadej Pogaccia, but that was a very different field. He was in very different form. He didn't have appendicitis. He wasn't training for the Olympics. So it's a really big question. Uh, I think right now the attitude at Yumbo is one of kind of confusion. I got the impression that, I mean, I saw an, an interview with uh, Grisha Nierman that Eurosport did, uh, and basically Grisha, did the, tea, the too long didn't listen, I guess, of that interview is, we don't know. So I think that they're going to have a pretty long night in the team bus having a pretty intense chat about the future. Van Aert could be in yellow tomorrow night. Who knows? Um, you're absolutely right about Van der Poel going deep. You know, he went deep today. And he, he did that arguably at Treno Adriatico earlier this year, and it maybe cost him at Milan San Remo, I think. I think. Um, let's hear from Mark Hershey because it was a tough day for UAE Team Emirates. Uh, fascinating to see that because, well, they are the, the walking wounded. They've got a lot of riders who've had crashes and are not in their best shape. Mark Hershey being one of them, though. I was interested to note that his brake levers are no longer at very odd angles. His bike is back to normal. Um, so he is recovering from his separated shoulder, was it? He had separated shoulder uh, in that crash on day one. Um, so here was Mark Hershey at the finish. How are you feeling? I mean, do you feel like you are recovering? Yes, I feel much better uh, now. The, um, the bike is back to normal, the shifters. It's more like the recovery is not so good. The sleeping, I didn't sleep really deep. That's the most thing now, but on the bike I feel quite good. Are you sort of focused on trying to be a help to Tadej in, in week two and even week three? Yes, for sure. Um, I tried to do now my job earlier on the stage today and then I hope I will recover for, for week two and three and can help Tadej. And uh, I guess a difficult day for the team today. Was that unexpected that such a big group would go in with some dangerous riders? Yes, we did a mistake in the start. We were sleeping and should not happen. Yes, we had to spend a lot of energy at the end or during the stage. It's for sure was not good for tomorrow and the next days. So a big, a big lesson today, really? Yes, it uh, gave us a lesson that um, we have to be focused from the start on. Hershey, they're saying that they, they made a mistake. They were sleeping. They won't make that mistake again. But a tough, a tough lesson and there'll be an inquest at UAE Team Emirates. And if you're Tarei Pogacar, you're kind of probably... Uh, although he appeared in very good spirits at the finish, a in bit the, nervous. In the same time, the, the, this was not a mountain stage, and 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 probably the terrain on which uh, UAT memories uh, are, are the worst 
uh, you know, in uh, in the, the squad they, they picked for that tour for the Tour de France was on in that kind of terrain. There'll be much more at ease, I guess, tomorrow in the Alps. So it might be quite different, to be honest. It's an interesting question, though, because you saw them burn through guys at the front today, like David Davide Formolo, for example, and Rafael Maika, who was like the last guy standing with Tadej Pogacar after the rest of them basically, you know, gave it all their all and burned through their matches. So it'll be interesting to see, like, did he spend the energy too early of his team, of his climbing domestiques? Because uh, it happened to Roglic last year in the crosswind stage where he, where they spent through Sepp Kuss and, uh, you know, on on a flat stage. I mean, it, it, it's an important strategic question. That's why stages like today are so good, because in the mountains, it will be just the, the strongest guys, the leaders. Um, days like today are perfect days to... Um, try a sort of am- ambush like that. Yeah, and, and still, I don't think uh, you know. I don't see Rafael Maika being being dropped uh, early on in tomorrow's stage. I mean, the guy won the Polkadot jersey on the Tour de France twice. He decided to put his career now to the service of Tadej Pogacar, but you know, he, he's he's got the, the he's got the experience. He, he, he has the know-how. Tomorrow, the climb to the Grand Bornand. I mean, he's been there. He knows he knows these climbs. I, I, I think they're relatively safe in the mountains. And, and on top of it, I, I still think from what we've seen, Pogacar is, is, by, is, by far, is still by far the, the, the best rider in, 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 in the bunch. He, he proved last year that he was. So, I mean, you know, it, it was a little warning, for, maybe, for, maybe not for the Alps, maybe for later in, yeah. in the race, uh, when we go between Nîmes and Carcassonne and all these tricky stages before we got to the Pyrenees. That's probably when, uh, you know, teams uh, you know, might attack him. Another little subplot today was the attack behind from Richard Carapaz, one of the, well, the only rider in that group to to have a go and, and test Pogacar uh, in that way. He had a go. Um, it seemed that Movistar um, chased him down. There's, there's history there. He was obviously on that team. Movistar <laughs> chased him down, uh, perhaps even cost him the Vuelta last year. Who knows? But uh, there's certainly a bit of history there. And it was curious. Um, Garrett Thomas had an okay day today, uh, really. Uh, let's hear what he had to say at the finish. We knew there might be somebody from GC there. Not necessarily a classic GC guy, but somebody up there on GC. And uh, we kind of hoped the UAE would have to ride all day, which they did. Obviously, Van Aert is in a great uh, position up there. The yellow jersey, it's not every day you see the yellow jersey in a breakaway. But yeah, it was a tough day. And then obviously the last 80k when he got smaller roads up and down, it was just racing behind for position and yeah, some tough, tough climbs at the end. It was quite a big crash, you know, and I think it's easy to talk myself into it like, oh, no, it's okay, you know, I'm okay, blah, blah, blah. But it still takes a lot out of you, as you can see with Roglic as well. Um, But I tried, I didn't want to go full, you know, 100%, you know, I was still in contact with say 200 meters to go so tried to just pace it a bit then and uh yeah came back and yeah it was okay in the end but i'm suffering yeah hopefully uh start to feel better soon but maybe not with the next two days for sure i'll try and stay there or thereabouts but obviously billy is uh obviously in a good position and um yeah we'll try and use that as, as best we can not ideal but at least i stayed in there i tried to pace it i tried not to go 100 percent you know not too deep um so only lose you know contact last 200 meters and then get back in obviously billy was aggressive which was great to see 
and uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, Movistar had some guys to really pull chase hard in the last 10k, so it brought that gap really down, but uh, still a long way to go. You'll hear um, Garrett Thomas refer to um, uh, Carapaz as Billy there. Billy, where does that come from? Apparently, um, he can't be called Richie because Richie Port is Richie. Uh, Luke Rowe started calling Carapaz Billy, and Carapaz really liked it, and so it stuck. So he is now Billy on the team, and it's mainly a thing for race radio, so there's no confusion. It's Billy, Billy Carapaz. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to Pierre Latour, the, the Frenchman, who's ninth overall on the phone before we did the, 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 the podcast, and he was... Uh, he was actually the first to attack in the Signal du Champ. Oh, yes, he was. And uh, and he, he told me, uh, well, you know, I, I tried my best. I'm, I'm trained every day. I mean, it's, it's true. We've seen him attack. He trains every day. Yeah, he tries every day. He's ninth overall. He's training uh, yeah, well. No, no, he's, he's doing all right. But he told me, I know, but, uh, you know, and I really thought I could do something. But then I saw Carapace pass, and he was going 10Ks, for, 10Ks per hour faster than I was. So, I mean, you know, credits to... Uh, to Carapaz for that. Also, the small little thing, because you might have asked yourself in front of TV, why were Total Energy, the team of uh, Pierre Latour, you know, chasing with UAE Team Emirates? And Latour told me, well, we, we just, you know, missed our chances. It, well, he used an, an expression I can't use, actually. Uh, and and because we were, uh, you know, we were really angry at missing the, the break, we, we thought it was our duty to uh, to try and help uh, Team Emirates uh, bridge the gap, so that, that was the ex- explanation. But I have no, I have no, no news from my friend Jose Luis Arrieta called Ari, uh, you know, the Movistar team director uh, about the reason why they might have chased beyond Richard. And Carapaz. there was some beef at the finish between <laughs> Michal Kwiatkowski in the, well, in the region like Charol, Of course, you have some beef. Beef, there's lots of beef. <laughs> <laughs> delicious, some delicious beef between Ineos and Movistar. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime supporter and sponsor. Very grateful to them for their support of the cycling podcast and all our spin-off shows as well. Um, if you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products, including the delicious, Lionel tells me, uh, tiramisu energy bakes go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25 SISCP25 at scienceandsport.com while you're still with us Kate before you go I will ask you one night to um, to to say the code so I hope you're committing that to memory yes. good excellent S-I-S-C-P-25. good work SISCP25 well done well done excellent it's, Daniel can't do that after four years so you've done very well we should then uh, move on to uh, French culture. But before we do, let's hear a little bit from our host tonight. We're very lucky tonight to be staying at um, uh, uh, the, the home of a friend of the podcast. And, and well, it's a, we're going to speak to you about this place la- later, Chris. Um, well, you tell us about it now. But what I did notice on my way in was it's got a booking.com rating of 9.9. It's a record for us. Well, it's good to know you finally got into the higher nines in your in your uh, in your hotels. But no, it's fantastic to have you here. It's a real pleasure, and uh, you um, interviewed our son James Hayden in your first episode of Escape, and ever since explore, then, explore. I have to say, it's very it's very strange here. Double, double. 
and uh, he um, he had a great season last year too, and uh, managed to get past Lawrence Ten Dam and uh, Christian Mayer in a race in the Pyrenees, which was uh, exciting stuff for him. But he's gone off road now, so he's. <laughs> Well, it's more a home, actually, and we uh, during the summer we welcome people in, especially weekends, and uh, it's always a great a great pleasure. Usually, it's just just one room we do, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun here. And Charol is is an incredible place, home of uh, Bernard Tavernet. Yeah, we're going to speak to you about him I think, later on. Okay. Um, I mean, most importantly, Chris, what, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? Well. Of course, this is Charolles, and if you uh, if you walk look around the fields here, it's the Charolais cattle are here, and this is beef country. So we're going to do a very special bavette steak on the barbecue with my new potatoes straight from my potager lifted yesterday. The incredible variety rat, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy, and a salad. Tamsin's done you a wonderful starter with courgettes from our vegetable garden too, and then I think there's a lemon cake uh, to finish off the the evening, plus couple of bottles of our wonderful Beaujolais, mm. which isn't too far away, Francois. Well, that was Chris, and I can actually smell the mm. the barbecue um, now. We can, yeah. It's starting to fill my nostrils in yeah. a very So I'll probably keep the, 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 the culture a bit short so that we can, uh, you know, taste it. I mean, mm, it, it, it would be nice to be able to convey the smell to our... It doesn't work in audio. But yeah. no, it doesn't. But it's a, it's a shame. I mean, you, you, uh, we, we should find a way in the future. Uh, the technology will exist one day. <laughs> the smell will come will. out of your Yeah, your you could have, you'd have a nap, be an app. Yeah, to, <laughs> to do that. There, there was no, no real time for a sightseeing today because so, so much happened in the, in, in the, in the stage. But it, it, it's a pity because, uh, you know, we started from, from Vierzon, that, that, that's in the Cher department. There, there's a very strange little town in, uh, in, uh, that might be dear to your hearts, uh, Richard, in, sh in the Cher department. It's called Aubigny-sur-Nea, and it's about 40 k from Vierzon. And it's actually a little piece of Scotland in France. Wow. It, it, as it had been given to the Stuarts as part of the old alliance. The old alliance. I yeah. love it. And there's a still beautiful castle of the Stuarts there, you know, and an annual Franco-Scottish festival. So now that you're French, so, well, resident, you must go to the Franco-Scottish festival in Aubigny-sur-Nair, not, not too far from Vierzon, if you have the chance, because it's it's fun there. You know, you, you see kilts all over the place, and, and the, the, the guys in that in that place really be believe they're Scots. I actually so. read about this very recently. We didn't make it to the start this morning because no. we had such a long drive to the finish but I actually read about this recently in Graham Robb's fantastic book The Discovery of France and uh, yeah there's a Scottish community there absolutely there is for, uh, there's been for a long time um, well we're also on, on the on the uh, on, well in the homeland of uh, Jean-François Jean Bernard you know uh, you, you, you saw on the side of the road uh, signs for Julien Bernard his son who, who, who didn't manage to make the breakaway I, I'm sure he was he was you know uh, sorry about that. Even though uh, is, you know Jasper Stoyv and his uh, teammate came second, uh, so there they was three up there, didn't they? Track Segafredo. Oh yeah, there are lots of lo yeah, there was lots of guys up there. But yeah, so if you saw lots uh, of Jeff signs, they were not for Jeff Kenny. Uh, don't know where. Subject <laughs> of today's commentary zero. Nice plug, Francois. You see, uh, I'm learning. That's fast, brilliant. You know? Excellent. And the, the the word of the we also went to Chateau Chinon, uh, which is a place where there's nothing to do with Chinon. Uh, I, we I, we heard some of our colleagues. I mean, we, we we love them and we listen to them the way as they listen to us. Go, you know, go, uh, uh, you know. Uh, 
well mentioned the, the the wine Chinon, but it doesn't come from the area. You have a place called Chinon, that, which has a chateau, and you got Chateau Chinon, which is another place. So I mean, you can understand the confusion. I can understand Chinon it. with a chateau or <laughs> Chateau Chinon. <laughs> but Chateau Chinon had a famous mayor, uh, and this is going to be the word of the day. The mayor of Chateau Chinon for many years was a man that the French called Tonton. Tonton. Yeah, Tonton. You tonton. know what Tonton means? Tonton. Do you know what Tonton means, Kate? No. Tonton? Uh, like you've got the Tonton Macoute. If you go to Haiti, you've got the Tonton Macoute. You know, Tonton is, uh, means uncle. It's oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Right. So we got auntie. <laughs> you've got like auntie for his, in French is Tata. And then you've got Tonton, which means an uncle. But, uh, and the guy that the French called Tonton was President François Mitterrand. And François Mitterrand was the mayor of Chateau Chinon. Oddly enough, he uh, slept. When he was in Chateau Chinon, very often he was sleeping at Hotel du Cheval Blanc, where I had my, the best steak of my life there. Until uh, now. And I slept. Oh, yeah. I, I hope that I have a better one tonight. Uh, and I actually slept in 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 this in that hotel at the uh, Hotel du Cheval Blanc in, in Chateau Chinon, and I was told by the landlord I'd slept in François Mitterrand's bed. So I, I slept like in my uncle's bed. Which two is, two great Françoises. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, the, the the other thing I think about about Tonton. I mean, you you wouldn't. I mean, you. I mean, normal people. I, I suppose. Uh, Thanks uh, very much. W- w- I'm flattered <laughs> that you no, said it normal. No, normal. What I mean, people. No, normal civilizations would wouldn't call their uh, president or their uh, queen or whatever uh, uncle I mean it's, it's pretty it, it, it reminds no, but what do the Germans call Angela Merkel do you think they call her they call her auntie or something they, they call her something I'll have <laughs> yeah. to look it up yeah well and in any case well, the, the, the tonton is, is pretty strange uh, you know it, it's, it, it reminds me of the man from uncle you have the impression that you know Mitterrand was kind of a father figure and that the French uh, d- despite you know beheading their king uh, a long time ago, still need a father figure or at least a uncle figure, which is pretty strange. But uh, so wh- why I'm not mentioning it? So in Chateau Chinon, you have a big museum, uh, you know, uh, remembering uh, the two uh, terms of François Mitterrand. Mummy, Angela Merkel's mummy, isn't she? Yeah, mummy. Well, you see, mm. well, str- strange, strange name for for this. But anyway, so that's was Tonton. Uh, and and if you if you're in the area, go for the beef and also go to the museum. Uh, about François Mitterrand. It's, it's not at all about François Mitterrand, actually. It, it, it's on display. You have all the gifts he, re- he received in his 14 years as a, as a French president. There are very strange things there, uh, I guess. But there you are. Tonton was the word of the day. The cheese of the day is, is, is quite famous if you are familiar with French cheese. It, it's it's also originates from Cher, which was the start of the stage today. It's made, it's made near Sancerre. Sancerre, we had a couple of uh, bottles of red Sancerre uh, on this store already. And it's called Crotin de Chavignol. It's a goat cheese because we're still, you know, in goat cheese territory in the Loire Valley. And, uh, and the, the small village of Chavignol, which has only 200 inhabitants, is very famous in France because of Crotin de Chavignol. Not, no, not many people know where Chavignol is, but that's where it is. And, and, and so Crotin, it means uh, a dung or a turd, actually, in, in French. It's true that the cheese is, is, is kind of the shape of a small, uh, how can I say, yeah, a small bowl. And as it's aging, you know, Crotin de Chavignol takes a color. Uh, which you know that's that's bit, a bit brown and so that might be the reason why it's called crotin because it looks like one it looks like a turd uh, but also uh, apparently there was also an oil lamp 
uh, they used in the old days to 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 you know own those cheese um, and uh, and those uh, those it was called cot and maybe it comes from here so cot uh, and the chavignol it's it's just very common when when you order uh, salad de chèvre chaud very often I do that. I do yeah. very often yeah yeah so uh, very often when you've got this salad with uh, with hot goat cheese the cheese is caught on the chavignol so you you've probably eaten some without knowing that you that you were so that that was the one what else uh well, the, the church bells are, are are ringing um that's lovely a lovely sound um well you presume you're going to sing us out francois with yeah so the, there's a song the uh, there's, a, there's a song so if we were on jeff bernard's um territory and you remember uh one oh, year, yeah dude we, yeah, we, yeah. We, we did a kind of a yeah. playlist of of uh, you know riders singing uh, we did a kilometer zero on yeah. songs Absolutely. didn't we on on and, the tour de france and songs and, and it was a very bad one by by jeff bernard yeah and, and uh, so, so if you look for it you, you go on well, on youtube or any other uh you know video uh, site well usually it's youtube but and and you type jean-francois bernard and tour de france and you see an old tv program where the poor jeff sings with a terrible voice a terrible song it's one of the worst uh you know <laughs> moment of french chanson but there you are and, and, and i'm not and you know what i'm not going to sing the, the this song i mean i'm going to sing another song by by a much much better singer called jacques brel uh well, of course, uh, the, the the Belgian Jacques uh, Chabrel, who was to uh, to to French, well, to francophone song, what Eddie Merckx is to cycling. I mean, so uh, and he had a song called Vesoul, and it starts with and the words start with you wanted to see Vierzon, and you have seen Vierzon. Uh, well. I guess you know a, a few guys have wanted to. I don't know if they wanted to see Vierzon, but they've seen Vierzon, and some some guys also saw Le, Le Crozeau, which is not in the song, but it, it, it goes something like that. T'as voulu voir Vierzon, et on a vu Vierzon. T'as voulu voir Vesoul, et on a vu Vesoul. T'as voulu voir en fleur, et on a vu en fleur. T'as voulu voir en bourg, et on a vu en bourg. J'ai voulu voir en verre, et on a revu en bourg. J'ai voulu voir ta sœur, et on a vu ta mère, comme toujours. T'as plus aimé Vierzon et on a quitté Vierzon. T'as plus aimé Vesoul, on a quitté Vesoul. T'as plus aimé Enfleur, on a quitté Enfleur. T'as plus aimé Hambourg, on a quitté Hambourg. T'as voulu voir Anvers, on a vu que c'est Faubourg. T'as plus aimé ta mère, on a quitté ta sœur. Comme toujours. Mais je te le dis, je n'irai pas plus loin. Mais je te préviens. J'irai pas à Paris, ni d'ailleurs j'ai horreur de tous les flonflons de la valse musette et de l'accordéon. T'as voulu voir Vierzon et on avait Vierzon. If, uh, that is fantastic, François. But if Jacques Brel is to music what uh, Eddie Merckx is to cycling, can we ask Mark Cavendish if he's going from Jacques Brel's record as a sort of secret code <laughs> and, and not upset him? And not upset him. Uh, we have to say just briefly before we go tonight, um, we said we had a fantastic chateau last night run by two young guys and uh, wonderful meal, great place. Um, it was it was really nice. What was it called, François? The, the chateau? chateau de Bois-Renaud. And um, lots of activities. You went for a, an early morning swim, and then a, a very vigorous game of table tennis. I got I captured a, the best photograph I've ever taken, which you'll find on Instagram and Twitter. It was perfectly composed, Francois. You really go for the shots, don't you? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I've always played like that. I, I actually learned the my Matthew Van der Poel of table tennis. <laughs> I learned my table tennis in Britain, actually. So maybe spectacular, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. Well, that's all for tonight. We'll be back. We'll be in the Alps tomorrow. We've got a very 
exciting uh, assignment tomorrow, haven't we? Um, mm. Which will be our Comms Zero next week. Looking forward to that immensely. It'll be a nice lunch and, um, yeah, interesting chat, hopefully. Um, Kate, you looking forward to the Alps? Absolutely. Team Grand Bonneau. Grand Bonneau. <laughs> Let's do it tomorrow. Thanks very much, Francois. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you.